Okay, testing one, two, three. All right. So, good evening, everyone. So, we'll be going through Baptist Catechism question number 27. And um, I didn't do a handout because most of uh, what you'll see on the screen will be references to verses. Uh, you can uh, jot them down, but they'll make the, the points uh, that we're trying to make. And do I have to turn this on, Paul? Yeah, we'll switch on the side. Push forward, backward, yeah. other side. I got it. I had it. It's uh, the other side. It's on now. Okay. You're right, because now there's numbers shown. All right, so uh, question number 27. How doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? And the answer is Christ executed the office of prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. So uh, just a couple of things to gloss over uh, to get kicked off. You read a question, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? And that's not usually the first thing that comes to people's minds that Christ was a prophet. Remember, keeping this all within context of we're examining Christ in a multitude of um, roles. And as Pastor Nick, I think, spoke last week, um, you know, we're talking about Christ was a prophet, Christ was a priest, Christ as a king. And tonight we'll be looking at the aspect of Christ being a prophet. So it seems like uh, we get the, the notion that a prophet is just somebody that tells the future, like they have a crystal ball or something like that. And as Pastor Nick correctly pointed out this morning, uh, there is more to the definition of prophet and the role of prophet than just foretelling the future. And we're going to get into that. So um, the way I'm going to approach this tonight, first I want to read the, uh, the supporting verses just to kind of get a flavor for uh, where we're going. And then we'll talk about what is the office of prophet. It'll be very brief, but um, it's important to understand what we're talking about. And then we'll look at Jesus as prophet. So... Starting with John 1.18, we'll go into 1 Peter, we'll go to John 15, John 20. But John 1.18 reads, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He was made known to him. So one of the things that we will get into, uh, and, and maybe it's me, but I wouldn't have necessarily picked out the verses that are being used to support this question, but I, I'll, I'll go with them and we'll go through other vor verses that I uh, find are more uh, revealing, more germane to the discussion. So this verse here, and of course this is all starting out within, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. and. Uh, it's an introduction to Jesus being the Word, and this particular verse is pointing out the, the, the mutual um, intimacy of the Godhead, that 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one and the when you think of the classic thought of a prophet uh, revealing divine revelation, well that revelation has to be divine and how did they get it, whether they got it through a vision, a dream, or spoken. In this case Jesus, God the Father, God the Spirit, they're intimate, they are one, and so the source of the revelation comes easy, in my opinion, for Jesus. So he will show how he's, um, uh, through that uh, revelation, the source of revelation, uh, he will always be proclaiming the truth. So uh, this one is a little bit, oh, um, actually to support that, and, and I didn't put it in there, but um, John 14, verses 8 through 10, just to support that, again, that intimacy, John 14, 8 through 10 reads, um, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. It's important to recognize that everything Jesus said is with the the authority of God because he is God and he and God the Father are one according to this verse. So then First uh, Peter was another reference verse and, it, and, and if you go back to the answer to the basic question, it wasn't was Jesus a prophet? The question was, how does he execute the office of a prophet? And the particular answer uh, dealt with not only does he execute the office of a prophet in revealing God's word, but it goes specifically uh, by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. So it's important to work into this discussion that Jesus in his prophesying uh, is for the benefit of salvation. So for Peter writes in his first epistle in chapter 1, verse 10, is where we'll start, concerning this salvation, and he's really basically going to talk about it. It's really quite remarkable, and it has quite a history. Um, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Well, to unpack that uh, entire passage would be a sermon unto itself, but the point is, is what has gone into salvation as established by the Godhead. Uh, Jesus is going to be uh, obviously in, intimately involved in that um, as our Redeemer. The next verse, John fifteen fifteen, 15, uh, reads, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, 
but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Again, that intimate, mutual relationship and the authority of God stands behind what Jesus has to say. And then finally, John 20, 31, as the final reference verse that was uh, established or developed by the uh, London Baptist Academy. John 20, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And it's kind of like a summary statement at the end of the book of John that (laughs) explains why John wrote all this down. It was for knowing who Christ, the Son of God, is and how it um, melds into salvation. So, those are the, the basic verses that they're starting with. Uh, we're going to look at some others, but uh, first things first, we want to uh, go to step number two, which was to just understand what a prophet is. And I'm turning this over to Nick because he, no, he explained this morning, um, as he explained this morning, and uh, just what I had written down in, a, in the, the general sense of a prophet is a person that speaks God's truth to others. Now, you can speak God's truth as to what is going on, what should we do right now, or why is this happening, or why did that happen, and it could be revealed to us uh, by a prophet. A prophet can also tell, uh, foretell the future. So they're somewhat different. Are you sneezing? I'll wait. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I'll remember that. So, pardon me. Better than snoring. Yeah, I guess. So, the foretelling God's truth is one aspect of prophesying and preaching, teaching God's truth is another form of prophesying and they can come from the same person they can come from different people but both are included and the reason that I'm emphasizing this is the question is dealing with how Jesus is a prophet and so obviously we're going to look at did he foretell God's truth and I'm talking God the Father did he preach and teach God's word And we'll answer that in just a few minutes. So, as far as just establishing this concept of foretelling the future, there are thousands of examples in the Old Testament, and there's also prophecy in the New Testament. If I were just to focus for a moment on the Old Testament, and just some classic examples, Isaiah 53 where Isaiah is prophesying uh, Christ, the the broken servant, uh, unrecognizable on the cross. He will be our redeemer. Uh, He will be our source of grace. I'm not going to read the entire uh, chapter of Isaiah 53. It's fairly well known, and if you don't know it, 
you should read through it tonight. I did want to read a couple of these. So Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, you may recognize as uh, a classic passage in Jeremiah regarding the uh, new covenant. You can feel free to turn there. And I'm just going to go read these four verses just to get an idea. Listen for the foretelling. Pardon me? Jeremiah Jeremiah 31, verses 31, tricky, through 34. So, uh, reading starting at verse 31, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, and just coming. So, this is in the future, um, declares the Lord, and whose authority is this? This is divine revelation. This is the, by the authority of God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I, I the Lord, will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The context of this passage being... Israel is under the law, and Jeremiah is prophesying the day will come where people will realize, God's people will realize his grace and not works that will redeem them, that will reconcile them to God, and it will be a work of God and not a work of the people, and obviously the uh, People were fraught with, you know, the balance of scales, trying to do this, trying to do that, all to supposedly please God and uh, get his attention, saying, hey, I'm not such a bad guy, you know, bring me to heaven when I'm done with uh, my time here on earth. And this was a prophecy from Jeremiah, uh, one of God's prophets, to foretell in the future there's an event or something is there will be a time that will be tied into the recognition that it is grace and not works that will lead to salvation so that was a, that's an example of foretelling the future ezekiel 36 verses 22 to 28 keep in mind that jeremiah was back in jerusalem ezekiel had been at the same time he was a contemporary of jeremiah and he was in Babylon. He was exiled to Babylon, but he basically uh, was tasked by God to declare God's word, and Ezekiel was also given a similar command to declare uh, God's word about this new covenant. The, The words are not that much different from uh, Jeremiah's uh, prophecy. 
And then uh, another example, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, that would be the, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel. I'm just going to read that again. Listen for the foretelling. And you wonder, how could somebody know this? And the answer is, if God tells you, then you'll know it. If God doesn't tell you, then you'll have to get it from somebody else who God told. Anyway, uh, what Daniel gets from uh, God. Daniel 9, starting in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a holy, most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem in the future, to the coming of an anointed one in the further future, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time, and after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of one week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So, that may be difficult to understand uh, if you get it the first time around. I'm not even going to comment on that. It's, it's a very, very challenging passage, but what you obviously can see is that it's a, uh, it's a prophecy of the future. So this is the foretelling. And there are many other prophecies throughout uh, the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and we'll, we'll get into a couple of those in the New Testament. But this is the foretelling aspect. Um, and I'm just going to go through one more, if I have that. Uh, so Deuteronomy 18, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone here. Um, if you... Uh, to Deuteronomy 18, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. This is Moses speaking, and it's right in the throes of, of Moses relating uh, the many aspects of the law in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. So, uh, Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15, and again, this is looking to the future. And, uh, and we read, the Lord, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This is Moses prophesying 
that by God's authority and by God's word, God's revelation, divine revelation, that in the future, a prophet like Moses will come and he will speak God's word and that prophet will be Jesus Christ. And we find out, you know, here it says like Moses, but when you read the book of Hebrews, uh, in the first few chapters, you'll read about the superiority of Christ, that he's above angels, that he's better than Moses, that he's better than Melchizedek. So um, he's a better, he's, he's a superior prophet to Moses. He is God. So this is a, a prophecy of foretelling the future, and it happens to be a prophecy saying that Jesus will be a prophet. All right, so obviously there are so many other foretelling type of prophecies in the Old Testament, and there will be more in the New Testament as well. And now, um, let's see, okay. Um, now, we're, now we look at the second aspect of prophesying, the aspect of preaching and teaching, not necessarily foretelling the future, which, again, the classic thought of a prophet is telling what's going to happen in the future. And that's certainly one role of prophets, but there's also the preaching, teaching. And as Pastor Nick had pointed out this morning, that his preaching and teaching would be classified as a form of prophesying, not predicting the future, but simply conveying God's divine revelation, which he has provided to us in the inspired scriptures. So one example would be Moses uh, declaring the law. It wasn't like he was predicting that something is going to happen he was saying, this is the way it is. This is how we live our lives. This is what's acceptable. This is what is not acceptable. Another example would be um, in Nehemiah chapter 8. If, uh, you remember when it's uh, after the, the Babylonian captivity and various groups were allowed in waves to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And... Uh, in the book of Nehemiah, there's a point where uh, there's a little bit of celebrating going on. Some good things are happening. The city is being rebuilt. And Ezra then takes out the scrolls, scripture of the law, which we would find in the Pentateuch or the Torah. And he proceeds to speak God's word. He's, he's not getting direct revelation from God at the time. This is a revelation that God gave to Moses. It got recorded. And Ezra is simply conveying that divine revelation. So it's another example of where preaching and teaching is considered a form of, of prophesying. So we kind of have that, the gist of the preaching, the teaching, and now let's look at Jesus, and we're going to uh, look at Jesus and divine revelation. We're going to look at him foretelling the future. We're going to look at him preaching and teaching, and we're also going to dial in on his authority. I know that it's 
somewhat simplistic for us in, in that we understand, I think, everybody here, the, the Godhead, um, but uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word, and uh, that establishes authority there, but there's also, we had already talked about um, Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father, and Jesus um, relaying everything that God the Father asks him to do. So look at uh, John 3.31 through 3.36. This is after, if you remember, the, it's a fairly famous passage with uh, Nicodemus being, uh, get, receiving the explanation that you must be reborn, and John 3.16. Um, but we get to John 31, John 3, verse 31, and we read, uh, and actually this is John the Baptist talking uh, to, uh, to people, and he said, He who comes from above is above all. He who is on the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. So he's comparing a heavenly being, Jesus, to a earthly being, a person. Um, he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Who did God send? Jesus utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So, and, and it concludes, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, again, we're kind of killing two birds with one stone here as well, where we're talking about the how Jesus receives his authority because he is part of the Godhead and this intimacy with God the Father. Uh, they will, they're always in agreement and their actions and any of their communication, any word that they uh, choose to give to us is true. It's holy, it's pure, and... Um, We're, we're going to just understand and recognize that as a prophet received in the Old Testament received divine revelation from God, arguably Jesus, in a manner of speaking, receives that divine revelation as well from God, but it's a little bit different in that he and God the Father are one. So the source is God the Father. So, Jesus foretelling. Come up with a hundred examples. Did Jesus predict anything? Yes, he predicted a lot of things. He predicted his own crucifixion. He predicted here the destruction of the temple and the end of the age in Matthew chapter 24. He uh, 
predicted that um, he did that twice, apparently, according to my notes. Um, his he um, as a as a foreteller, uh, he obviously, as God, is omniscient, and he will know anything that is going to happen, but also be able to explain how things are happening, why things are happening, and Jesus as a teacher or a preacher, consider the Sermon on the Mount, a precious passage, um, expounding on truths that one would think a, a, a man could not be able to conjure up the wisdom that's contained in the Sermon on the Mount. Yet Jesus is teaching as one with authority. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, what is he doing? He's teaching and he's preaching and basically playing out a role of prophet. Um, When we look at uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, we'll talk about that for a second, uh, when he said you must be born again, and, and you remember that conversation, this is, again, an example of Jesus' teaching. It's not so much foretelling or predicting something that's going to happen, a comet is going to come by and hit the earth or something like that. It has to do with the present day, present ongoing, in every day thereafter. Um, but that would be... a simple form of teaching though it was uh, to an audience of one it is nevertheless a divine revelation to a person that did not have that revelation before Jesus teaches and preaches on the seven I am's Um, I am the way and the truth and the light I am the resurrection and life I am uh, the gate I am the bread of life uh, anyway, I wrote the, the verses down if you uh, feel like jotting those down. But in a nutshell, this is Jesus teaching on who he is. And it's so important for us today to have those words. And when somebody is teaching and preaching um, on the seven I am's today, they would be prophesying in the form of teaching and preaching. So um, Jesus also uh, taught in the synagogues, Matthew uh, 4, verse 23. And and it just simply says, and Jesus taught in the synagogues. Uh, Jesus was, you know, he read from the book of Isaiah in a, a very famous passage. And the amount of teaching and preaching that Jesus did was phenomenal. Uh, How we live our lives uh, is rich in uh, who God is and what he expects of us. And we heard it from the mouth of Jesus. So, what we've looked at is Jesus foretelling destruction of the temple the end of the age Jesus teaching and preaching and we, we 
find from the book of Hebrews that Jesus uh, was a greater prophet than Moses. He was a greater prophet than anyone. He did have that advantage of being God. But everything that Jesus taught, everything that he preached, um, uh, everything that he foretold would be considered prophecy. Jesus would be considered a prophet. And I close with the question, why did Jesus come into the world? John 1837b, if you remember when he's having his uh, tete-a-tete with uh, Pilate, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So, that concludes, I think, yes it does, the slides. And, uh, should we pray first or uh, take questions first and then pray? You can pray. All right. Well, let's pray over what we just were talking about. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we are so grateful to know uh, that there is one truth, an absolute truth, and you have provided it for us. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Your ways, your word is all holy and perfect. And we're thankful um, to have access to the truth. Uh, perhaps other people have asked for the same thing somewhere along in their life. I remember a moment in time before I was saved and I was saying that I just wanted to know the truth and I came out of frustration as I heard uh, different people seeming to tug me in one direction or another and it just seemed like it didn't make sense and um, by your grace uh, you provided that for me, and I'm grateful uh, for what you have done in that regard with each one of us that has salvation by your hand, by your grace. Um, we're so blessed and so privileged, and we're grateful to know that Jesus as prophet did come to this earth to bear witness to the truth and we're grateful to have it we pray lord that we will um, continue to learn as we go through the remainder of this catechism and again lord uh, we do want to lift up our church and uh, pray for uh, a more robust attendance your the depth of your of your truth, how it impacts our lives, um, 
it's uh, it knows no bounds and more people need to uh, pursue it we believe so we thank you we thank you for who you are we thank you for all that you do and we pray this in Jesus name Amen all right fire away I'm doing my um, what is this just dissertation we might be small enough that we don't need a microphone tonight believe it or not but well, you may the idea for the mic is so that okay picks it up. got it oh yes here you go Oh, we're, come up so the, the people can hear it on the. We're, we're recording this, oh, I and know. if if you don't talk into that, we'll, we will not hear your question, and there's no sense in me answering. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Um. Yeah. Here's my question. So, I just a question because of just information. Um. So, what is the comparison? What is the symbolism um, between what happened um, to the migration? Of the Jews and how um, back in the day they needed the uh, the manna, the bread, the sweet bread, um, and to my recollection they uh, got tired of that manna. Correct? Uh, uh, they grumbled. Yes, they did. And okay, so what is the symbolic connection, assuming there is one, between that and Jesus the Christ calling himself the sweet bread that fell from the heavens? Well, I. If I understand your question correctly, I could quickly draw a comparison that that bread was their physical sustenance. And in looking at a, a comparison, we're not so concerned of our physical, but rather our spiritual state. And do we accept Jesus, the bread of life, and have spiritual life, or do we reject it, grumble over it? You're telling me to do this. You're telling me to do that. I don't like it that way. I want to do what I want to do and forego the very sustenance that you need. Does that make sense? Yeah. They rejected what they needed physically, people reject Jesus whom they need spiritually. Anybody want to add to that? Yeah, I think that also when you think about um, the grumbling in the wilderness, they were sustained. They had what they needed, but in their heads they had decided for themselves that they needed something beyond that. And rather than be thankful for the great and mighty blessing of freedom that they had, having been released from slavery and headed towards a place of promise, instead they were focused and locked in on this thing that they had convinced themselves was a need, which was quail and leeks and onions and things that they enjoyed back in their slavery. And uh, those things were superficial. They were unimportant compared to the greater thing that God was doing for them there. And so that was a picture of how we today in the church often grumble and complain about small things when in reality our gratitude should be for our Savior and a salvation that he's won for us 
that we should feel abundantly and overly blessed every day to the point when we, when we feel the urge to complain that it would seem silly to us to complain, like it seems to us silly that the uh, Hebrews were complaining about not having a better diet in the wilderness when God was giving them free food. They didn't have to farm. They didn't have to scavenge. It was easy. and It was good. It's a lesson in appreciation and gratitude. I think it's also evidence of a lack of understanding of the truth. And so when Jesus said, I, uh, the reason that I come, I have come into this world, the reason I was born, the reason I've come into this world is to bear witness to the truth. I mean, everything comes under the truth. And if you do not want to live there, uh, God will turn you over to your own vices. Romans 1. Yes? Could you go into a little more detail about how, uh, considering we sang that new song today, which talked about the truer and better, that Jesus is greater than all these things that pictured him before uh, as the antitype to the type of these earlier pictures like Moses and, and Adam and things. Can you talk in a little more depth about how Christ is the better prophet and what makes him better than the prophets that came before him? I could. So I'll, I'll try. Um, Moses, this is thinking on my feet because I haven't prepared an answer for this. Moses was a man who received revelation from God on occasion, but was entirely 100% dependent upon God for the information that he conveyed to people when he conveyed divine revelation. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father are one. And I'll, I'll just go into uh, my cheat sheet on um, going into the uh, book of Hebrews. And it's going to refer to, you know, for example, when they were comparing, uh, when the writers comparing Jesus to the angels, it says, you know, who who's considered the son? Are any angels considered a son? Um, it's just in, in chapter in chapter one, uh, end of verse three. Uh, well, okay, starting verse three, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Moses doesn't do that. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son today, I have begotten you? So, I mean, that would be a starter. You go over to, to chapter 3, which would be Jesus greater than Moses. Um, da, 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 just as Moses was faithful. And Mo there's, you know... There's no sense in uh, knocking Moses. Moses was 
an incredible prophet and we're very blessed uh, that uh, he was obedient to God finally uh, in going to be uh, the prophet that God called him to be. Um, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than, than Moses is in uh, chapter 3, verse 3, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So this could, uh, you know, reference that, uh, you know, Jesus is the, the builder. Jesus is the one that puts together the church. Moses provided the information to sustain Israel but Jesus is the builder. He's the cornerstone of everything. And he is the source of all truth. Um, I could probably read a little bit more. Moses, you know, Moses was faithful as a servant. Uh, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So he has been given status as part of the family of God rather than being a servant. Like, I think I could say this, an angel might be considered a servant, which we've already established that Jesus is greater than angels. Um, so he is, he's, he's blood, he's family, and therefore superior in status. I like that you went to Hebrews uh, 1-3 because it says that Christ is the radiance of his glory when we think back to Moses when he went up onto the mountain being exposed to the Shekinah the glory of God he came back down and, and glowed he had a radiance but that radiance faded over time whereas Christ is the radiance of God's glory he is it begins with him and it projects from him so it's like every other prophet was dependent upon their exposure to God, but Christ walks as God in the flesh, as the prophet who could speak. Like every word that he ever said was prophetic. And I think also, I don't know if I'm wrong about this, but I can't think of another prophet that went back to earlier prophecies and then showed you more about what that meant. Whereas Jesus would go back and say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he would expand upon the thing. So he had an authority to also show new aspects and elements of what God revealed before and how they apply today, which I don't think I remember any other prophet doing that, but that would be probably, I guess, his teaching aspect, right? And, and I would add to that, uh, to reduce this to mathematical terms, Jesus does not decay. Yeah. <laughs> Moses' radiance decayed. Yeah. Stephen? Uh, you better use the microphone so it can get recorded. Oh, I try to speak loud. I think no. I, I think I have a loud voice. Is it okay? Um, I'm fine. You know, just to kind of even piggyback on that, you know, how was Moses, a, I mean, how was Jesus a greater prophet? I mean, I think when we look at the book of John, we see often. They, they question his authority. Like, we've never seen anyone speak like this, right? Moses spoke as, you know, thus saith the Lord, but Jesus spoke because he was the Lord. You know, I think that was, that was, that's a big difference. You know, like, Jesus didn't always have to go back and say, thus saith the Lord. He just kind of spoke. And then the people questioned, like, man, where did this come with this authority come from? We haven't heard anybody speak with authority like this. So, I mean, I think that, too, we see. You know, and I was even going to ask, um, bring that and ask. I know, like you said, some, like, in the very beginning, you would maybe have chose better verses. But, you know, I was looking at some of those verses where it said, like, 
Jesus was the only one who knew the Father, and he made him known. I mean, I think they would you agree that they were trying to show a part of his being a prophet is that he made the Father known because of the fact that he knew him so intimately and perfectly? Absolutely, I would. I mean, it's there's there's no comparison. I, I mean, Moses does not sit at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, the couldn't well, even look at his one. face, right? He was he wasn't even able to look at the face of the Father. Right. He, you know, the Father revealed kind of the backside of his yep. glory to Moses in some sort of mystical way. But Christ sits at the right hand and beholds the fullness of the Father. Yes. So in so many ways, superior to every other prophet that came before. But again, I like what you said. We need to be thankful for Moses and for Jeremiah and for yes, the prophets. Absolutely. But as much as we are to be grateful for them, how much more so should Christ be to us perfect fulfillment of God's will in the flesh? Yeah. Another one? No. Okay. I, I, okay. Okay. <laughs> Young men, questions? Okay. We'll, we'll let it slide tonight. <laughs> All right, well, we can wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for coming this evening. And obviously, if you have any more questions, I'll be here. Thank you, Ross. All right. Thank You're you. welcome. And